So a few things. <clears throat> a few things. I, I, I started this last week, kind of the intro was last week. Um, a few things with this. I'm, so for the next two months, for the next eight weeks, I'm going to be going over the subjects that I talked about last, last week. And this is, this is specifically who we are as a church, what we're trying to accomplish, uh, where is our focus going to be, what are the things that we're going to be trying to point uh, you toward. Um, I understand very strongly that you are, you know, you're a free moral agent. You can do whatever you want to do. But I, we do believe strongly in some of this stuff and all of it, really, and we want to try to point you that direction. And some things that will be beneficial for you, things that really will help your life, change your life. And these are kind of Christianity 101, but as I mentioned last week, they, they really, it's not the same concept as like taking a 101 class in college and then, and then 201 and 301 or something. It's, this really is, the 101 remains the foundation for your whole entire Christian walk. In fact, when you stop, Paul even talks about this. He says, go, go back to the things you learned earlier. And he says that two or three times. Um, the reason is because when we get away from our foundation, it, it becomes a hindrance in our Christian walk to accomplish other things. And so we're going to be looking at some things through this next few weeks. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about the Word of God, the importance of the Word of God, what that looks like. The week after that, we're going to look at um, some of the things to do with our, our life personally. Are we? And, and the theme of this, the, the title of this whole series, the whole eight weeks, is All In. And we're going to take pieces of this, All In How. Um, all in with God's Word, all in with your life, all in with um, time, energy, resources. I'm going to talk about money in a, in a couple weeks, um, which I know sometimes people get nervous about that in the church, but here's the thing. Money is one of the top three most important things, driving things, things that you spend the most time and energy on in your entire life. And uh, to, to somehow kind of leave that out of the subject when it comes to our Christian walk doesn't make sense. And I, and I think, me personally, I think it's irresponsible of churches to not show you what God's Word says about that. And so we're going to look at that. We're going to look at uh, family. We're going to look at, uh, we're going to touch a little bit on family and marriage, some of those kind of things in this eight weeks, and really say, okay, um, who, who do you want me to be, God, and what does that look like? Okay, so let's start off with the mission statement here, Church of Briargate. <clears throat> the Church of Briargate exists to enable people under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and we're going to focus on each element of this. Our, our mission statement is not just something we do and, and like write it on the wall so it looks pretty. This really is a driving force for us. We talk about this kind of stuff um, in our leadership meetings, in our board meetings, and things like this. Who are we as a church? Are we staying consistent with that? Um, you know, this ministry opportunity, whatever, does this fit our mission or does it not? Those are, those are important things. But supernaturally, so uh, um, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, uh, th this is something that I'm, I'm going to be speaking about during this series also, is understanding the, the, uh, the Holy Spirit better and, uh, and how... See, this is the crazy thing about what we do as Christians. There are major chunks of the church's world that kind of reject the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. They, they reject Acts 2 and 4 and and uh, 19, all this stuff, they reject the gifts of the Spirit and supernatural and divine healing, stuff like that. And I think the reason is because they're unsure or they're, they're um, insecure about it, maybe even scared of the Holy Spirit actually being in control. Um, but we're going to talk about that. Why? Because you cannot be saved without the Holy Spirit. And there would be no book of Acts if there was not a, uh, an empowerment that is separate than salvation. There would not be the book of Acts 
um, half of 1 Corinthians wouldn't be there. Half of Romans couldn't be there unless we understood that empowerment or what's also called baptism in the Holy Spirit is, is uh, separate than salvation. And so we're going to walk through that, but understanding that under the anointing of the Holy Spirit is how you draw closer to Jesus, not just within yourself. You didn't just wake up one day and say, hey, if there's this guy named Jesus, I think I'm going to... I think I'm going to serve him. That's a Holy Spirit thing. The Holy Spirit shows you that. He reveals that to you. You, you, you start off with the Holy Spirit's the one inviting. And so I'm going to look, look at that a little bit more this morning, not a lot. But under the anointing of the Holy Spirit to supernaturally draw close to Jesus Christ. That's where we're going to put a lot of emphasis this year. Uh, usually the emphasis around here is the last part and to bring as many others along as possible which is um, witnessing, mentoring, discipling, those kind of things. Uh, we, do, we do still do that, and we're, we're not going to uh, diminish that. But, um, but we're also going to really focus on uh, how, do I, how do I draw closer to Jesus Christ? How do I do that? And, uh, and so some of, the, some of the, the question I would like to ask first, because the title of this is all in, I'm going to ask you a handful of questions here to make you process. But... But uh, how, what do you mean, just generically, not spiritually, but generically, what does it mean to you to be all in? Uh, I've always kind of been this way. I'm not a halfway kind of person. I'm a all or nothing. And I have no problem being nothing, okay? If, if I'm not interested in that or that's not what I think God is calling me to or whatever, I have no problem not doing anything about it, right? Being completely nothing, um, but when I know this is what I'm supposed to do and I commit to something, I'm all in. Uh, that's, that's just my personality. I don't know for sure that I, I mean, I do make that conscious decision sometimes, but I think, I don't know, I think some of that is just who I am. Uh, this was a big deal for me when my kids were growing up. I'm not saying you need to do this. I'm saying for me, this was a big deal. Um, if, if my kids joined like um, baseball or something, they were not allowed to quit halfway through the season. They had to, they had to see it all the way through. If you're going to join up to something, see it through. Um, it, you know, well, they're not playing me. I'm sitting the bench. Okay, but you join the team, see it through. Don't, don't quit. Uh, one of, I think one of the worst things is quitting. Um, be all in. But what does that mean to you? You've got to define that for you. I can't define it. I'm going to try to help build some definition, but you've got to decide that for you. Now, what does it mean to be all in with Christ? What does that mean to you? I'm, I'm saying for you in your brain right now to ask yourself that question, what does that mean? What is it? When I say I'm all in with Christ, what does that mean? Or that I surrender to the Lord. I'm gonna, at the end of this, we're going we're gonna to process that concept. What does it mean to surrender to God? What do you think that means? Not what I think it means, not what the, the, the guy online thinks it means, but what do you think that means? To, to be all in, to surrender to the Lord. How does that define your life? How you define that, and then how does that define your life? Um, I, I said it earlier, I, I say this constantly around here, and I don't, I don't know how we, I don't know how all of you guys process this, um, but how you perceive Jesus is how you serve him. Not who he is, but, but how you understand him. Because he's bazillion size big. I don't, I don't know how to say that. You're only going to see this much. Through, through your entire human life on this earth, you're going to see a tiny, tiny part. Through Scripture, through experience, everything, you're going to see a tiny part of the magnitude of who Jesus is. 
Now, your desire should be constantly saying, Lord, open my eyes and help me see you more. Help me see you more truthfully. Um, if you've got blinders from, from past or culture or history or whatever, Lord, help me to see your word and help me to see you the way you want me to, not just the way I grew up. Okay? It may not be wrong. That's not what I'm saying. But you'll have, you'll have certain limitations on how you see Jesus according to your background. Um, according to your experiences, that's what we call experiential theology. So constantly saying, God, help me to broaden my horizon and see you. But you're only going to see him a little bit in comparison to who he is. That's how you'll serve him. How you look at his word is how you'll uh, uh, read the Bible or not read the Bible. The importance of that, how you see salvation, how do you see grace, how do you see the supernatural, how you define all those things in your mind and your spirit according to God's word, experience, whatever the case is, defines how you really look at Jesus and how you pray and all those kind of things. Okay, my desire through this series, and, and really it's, it's always my desire, is to somehow you know, shake things up for you in your mind and your spirit to make you, to make you really get in the word and, and consider some stuff. I, uh, I try to bring out some things in Scripture in such a way that it, that it um, gets, gets under your skin a little bit, maybe even to the point where you say, I don't know if I believe that. That's actually intentional for me, m- often. And the reason is because I want you to do, really the ultimate thing I want you to do is I want you to get out your Bible at home to disprove me. Okay? You should be doing that constantly. Specifically, if I say something, you're like, mm, make a note. Go check it out later. I could be full of it and incorrect scripturally, okay? So, because some of you are like, well, you know, so, but either way. But how you define Jesus determines how you serve him. How you define Jesus, how you understand scripture, how you understand certain aspects of of who he is defines, uh, determines how you serve him. And so, think about that stuff. Process that. Do you have a plan? This is what I was talking about last week, and I'm going to finish with that also, is what is your plan right now? What is your plan for this year for your spiritual growth? Okay. So we're going to look at um, uh, this, this concept of all in with Jesus. I really think, and, I, and I've talked about this, and I know that you've probably been noticing that it's growing in intensity over the years, the longer you've been here, but this is becoming more and more um, important to me to say this stuff because I, I constantly deal with this. I'll give you something that's happened. I didn't mention this in first service, but this is something that's happened recently that, that really has been bothering me. Because <clears throat> I had a Catholic priest call me from Denver of a very large Catholic church, and he was, he was extremely concerned. He called me kind of half representative, half pastor. And um, he had seen some videos or something. I don't know. He knew who I was. And so he calls, and basically it was he needed to vent. And we're going to get together and connect, but he just needed to vent. He said it is becoming more and more. These are his words. I'm not saying this. I don't know this. I'm not on the inside of the, the Catholic Church of the Diocese in Denver. Okay, I'm not. But he said this is becoming more and more difficult in the Catholic Church, think about that, in the Catholic Church for the leadership of the Catholic Church to take a stand against abortion. This is the Catholic Church. They're like the leaders of the world in this, right? He said it's becoming much more difficult 
to get them to have the conversations, to have meetings, to do things. They just keep saying, well, we just kind of want to stay away from that subject. If the Catholic Church caves on this, guys, they've been, they've been the pillar in this conversation. Not the, not the Protestant Church. The Protestant Church is all over the place when it comes to this subject. And we talked for probably two hours on the phone, and him to just the end of the rope, what do I do? You know what the simple answer to that is? Is you keep being who God's created you to be. You don't, you don't cave. If everybody around you caves, don't cave. Guys, this is, this is where I'm going with this, is we really need to reject a lot of the modern thinking of what Christian living is presented by the church today. We've got to start rejecting some of this stuff. This is not biblical. It's not from God. It is not his spirit, and we've got to start taking stronger stands. I've, I've always been kind of one that pushes back against this stuff. And, guys, we're going to have to do this at large within the body of Christ because the church leadership, well, it really what's happening, I've talked about this for four years now, but what's happening is the church is splitting into two groups. You've got the woke group that is accepted by society and accepted by the government, and everything is okay, let's all get along, no sin, no no uh, repentance, no redemption, nothing's wrong. Then you've got the, the, really the body of Christ that's saying, no, that's not what Scripture says. The problem is it's becoming difficult for this group, the true body of Christ, to process this, and disseminate the information, and take the stands because the leadership is not necessarily going there with them. And that's dangerous. Now, I'm not picking on all the church. There's major uh, leadership that is going with them. Um, but but your, your strongholds, specifically in, well, just not the norm, okay? And so, so that's where we got to say, okay, how, how do I see Jesus? Because that determines, that determines all this stuff. How you see Jesus determines whether murdering babies is okay. You know, one of the biggest things that I've seen in this conversation, this is the number one thing for me as a representative is abortion. I've said that in all my town halls. Um, I, I've said this in the House. I, I put up two bills last year. I'm putting up two very similar bills this year having to do with abortion. But you know what I am finding out more and more and more is the same problem this Catholic priest is having is the people that are standing in the way of abortion being made illegal in America right now is the pro-life groups and the church. You say, how could that be? Guys, that is what is happening. Churches are pulling away from the subject and will not deal with it. And the pro-life groups will not stand with people that are trying to make this illegal. Why? Number one reason. They're scared to death to say anything negative about the mothers that are making the decision. Everybody else is guilty. The doctors, the Planned Parenthood, all the media, politicians, everybody is guilty except for one person. And I'm not exaggerating this. I've had this conversation ad nauseum. One person is innocent. They're the victim. And it's not the baby. It's the mother. Guys, that is, we're never, we're never going to overturn abortion in this country as long as that's the case. Never. Never. Because we won't actually stand up against it. It is murder. It is murder. And we've got to do something. We've got to, I, I, I've just been listening to people talk about it forever, but never do anything. We've got to do something 
about this. We also have to realize that we are here for divine purpose. You are created by God, not just to live your life, have some kids, have a job, a couple cars, that kind of thing. You are created by God for divine purpose. You have, you have reason for existing. I'm saying from the Lord. You, you've got to let him convince you of that. But you have a reason for being, and it's very intentional. And it's not just for like one time in life where you do something great. It's your entire existence, constantly, constantly, constantly. As I said to the, to the Catholic priest, the way you fight this, the way you fight against the, the leadership of the church is you never cave and compromise. Guess what? That's the same answer for all of us. The way you make a difference in your community, in your workplace, in your family, and all that stuff, never compromise. Stand strong. Let the word of God guide you and lead you. And it's amazing how, in fact, I personally believe as a, as a state representative, that is the biggest influence I've had, is just stay consistently focused on Jesus. Some people like it, some people won't. Some people reject you, some people won't. But, but you do get the opportunity for the conversations and everything else because at least at the end of the day, whether they like you or not, they know you will tell them what you believe to be truth. Stand on that. Stand on that. Don't waver in that. You have purpose, and that is the foundation of that purpose, is to speak Christ. Going back to Jeremiah 1.5, that you're supposed to be a voice of prophecy to the nations. That means a voice of God. That mean, doesn't mean future telling. That means to declare God to the nations. You do that through your life, through your attitude, through your words, everything. Declare God. And that we also have to, to learn to live actively and intentionally for Jesus. So Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. <clears throat> Someone came to Jesus with this question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Now this is a very interesting question, and I'm going to unpack this quite a bit because there's a lot more to this subject. This subject, this whole little section I'll read here, really does have to do with money. Um, I'm not going to focus on that because I'm going to deal with that in a few weeks. But the, all the scriptures after this have to do with money. In fact, this is the, the storyline where Jesus says it's, uh, it's, um, it's almost impossible for a rich person to go to heaven. It's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to go to heaven. And everybody's debated over the years, a camel going through the eye of a needle, what does that mean? The eye of a needle is a gate and all this kind of stuff and yada, yada. I, I don't know, but the way I look at it is trying to squeeze a camel through a tiny little needle. That's, that's, a good, that's a good balance there, okay? Um, but with that being said, I don't want to focus on the money on this because I want to kind of bring out like a bigger subject um, here. Here's the, first, here's the first thing I want you to process. Why does this guy come to Jesus? Has he asked other people? We don't know the answer to that, but why does he come and ask Jesus this question? And by the way, Jesus was wondering that too because he says, why ask me about what is good? Why are you asking me? Now, Jesus knew why he should have been asking him, but we can tell through the rest of the story that is not why this guy was asking him. We don't know for sure the answer to that question, but that has to be part of the question. Why? why and Jesus asked him, why do, you, why do you call me good? Who do you think I am? Because this guy did not think he was the son of God. He didn't. There's no way you can see this through this story. There's no way that you could see that he thought that Jesus was the ultimate authority on everything. The creator that made him, created the cells in his body. He, this, this guy wasn't processing that. And so Jesus kind of pokes at him a little bit. Why ask me what's good? Then Jesus replied, because 
Jesus knows the answer that it should be. And by the way, he does know the answer to the question. So he says, there is only one who is good. But to answer your question, parentheses, because I am God in human flesh, and I do know the answer more than any other human on the planet ever will. If you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Now, this is interesting to me because, of course, he would, this guy would have been raised this way. He knew all the commandments, knew all the stuff. But, he, but this is not really the answer, is it? Jesus kind of pulls him in, but this is not really the answer. It starts the conversation. In fact, Paul goes over this a lot in the New Testament, that the law itself does not save. It only reveals where the sin is, right? So Jesus says, keep the commandments. That's not the, that's not the full answer. It's part of the answer, but it's not the full answer. But what's he doing? He's working this guy a little bit. He wants him to think through. He wants him to process, ask him some stuff. So he says, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which one, the man asked in complete ignorance. What do you mean, which ones? How do you do, which commandments? Well, here's a simple answer. They're all from God, so start with all. Right, which ones of the commandments are from God and which ones aren't? See, this guy has a, a, a great misunderstanding in the, in the big picture of who God is and what God's word is about and the truth of that to him. You can tell there's no possible way that he's kept the commandments because he doesn't even, he's not even recognizing, at least from what I'm seeing here, he's not even recognizing that God's the author of the commandments. Right? When you can say which ones... So Jesus takes him there. Jesus replied, instead of Jesus saying, well, how about all of them? He doesn't say that. He walks through this. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and your mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. An interesting love your neighbor as yourself is the encapsulation of the Ten Commandments, right? And so what does this guy say? I've obeyed all these commandments. No, you haven't. It's arrogant to assume that you have. I've watched people all my life, from growing up to being a minister, I've watched people that, that, that get saved, they have a legitimate relationship with Christ, and then eventually that le they let legalism and, and kind of arrogance, narcissism take over, and they begin to judge everybody else while they're no longer sensitive and close to the Lord. Why? Well, I'm, I'm a good Christian. I do all the things right. Do you? Do you do all the things right? Lynn and I were, were talking this last week, and we we're kind of joking with each other, but she said something. And um, she said, did you hear this or something? I don't remember exactly what it was, but she said, did you know this or did you hear this? I said, no, but I am definitely in favor of some good gossip. <laughs> and uh, we, we, you know, pick at each other and things like that. But, guys, did you know that gossip is actually mentioned in, in uh, Ephesians 5 as a sin? And how easily do we fall into that? He says right here, um, don't, you must not testify falsely. Well, I've obeyed all these commandments. No, you haven't. And, and here's, here's the basis of this guy's problem, is he really thinks more of himself than he should. See, I don't think he came to Jesus for um, answers. I think he came to Jesus for justification. Every, make everything good. Oh, you're okay, young man. You kept all the commandments? Oh, kudos to you. Go off and do what you want with your life. You're obviously so holy. 
right? He says, I've, kept, I've obeyed all these commandments. What else must I do? And, and I do think, and I don't really have a lot to base this on except just some of the cultural understanding of the time. I think this guy wanted a task, like a thing he could physically do to show how good he was, right? We do the same thing in our lives. We don't, we don't process it that way. But this is human nature. This will always be, um, you know, right there trying to harass us is that we try to do something in the natural that proves how holy or spiritual that we are. Kind of a karma mentality, right? Well, karma is not um, a biblical concept. Sowing and reaping is. But that's not the same thing as karma. But if I do a really, really good thing, well, then, I'll, man, I'll be awesome. I'll be good. Um, I, I, I joke with people about this stuff every now and then. They'll, they'll say, Pastor, we, we, you know, we made some bacon. Would you like some? I, that doesn't happen a lot, but, but um, not enough. And I'll say, yeah, you should, bring, you should tithe your bacon straight to the pastor, <laughs> not to the church, not to the store, straight to the pastor, and God will give you bonus points in heaven. Well, obviously I'm joking. There's no reality to that. But, guys, we actually kind of think that way sometimes. Right? If I go to church this week, well, that'll prove that I'm doing the right thing. That's not why you go to church. You know why we go to church? Because we're all kind of messed up, right? And we need some help. We need some worship. We need some prayer. We need some, some sermon. We need some conviction. We need that's, that's why we go to church, not because you get, like, bonus points or something. It's not how God looks at it, okay? So he says... All right, if you want to be perfect, I love the fact that Jesus uses the word perfect here because this guy has basically said, I'm perfect. I'm doing everything the way that I'm supposed to. If you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Wouldn't you love for Jesus to physically step into your world right now and say, hey, you want to follow me? Think about that. I would even just take, would you like to go to lunch? <laughs> right? Think, think about the magnitude of Jesus looking this guy right in the face. The, he, Jesus did this at the most with maybe multiple hundreds, maybe a thousand or two, at the very most, the amount of people that he connected with like this, that he had direct interaction with. And one of them, he looks right in the face and he says, you can follow me. Maybe even to the level that he would have been um, the, the inner circle, maybe like the disciples. He says, then come and follow me. And the guy just couldn't do it. He says, but when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Now, again, yes, this is about money. It does talk about this later. But, but in the bigger picture, what are, what are we seeing here? One of the things I think is important is who did... Who did this guy really think Jesus was? We don't know for sure, but, but who does he think he is? There's no way that he thought Jesus had all authority and understanding and wisdom. There's no way he thought that. Because when Jesus gave him the answer, he rejected it. You know, I, I, I've done some study on this in the past, and I, I kind of went through some stuff a couple weeks ago about this same subject. To, 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 I'll give you a study thing to do if you want to. Look in Scripture and find all of the places in Scripture where 
people like this guy are mentioned. Lukewarm, rejected Jesus, made his own decision, went his own way. You say, well, there's, there's lots and lots. There's actually not. This is the interesting thing. that I did this years ago, but this is the interesting thing. You've got people that outright reject and deny God, rebel against him. Then you've got people that reject what God is saying, but eventually they get on board, like Jonah, things like that, right? You've got um, people that really are trying to follow God, but they're, they're broken and, and messed up, like David, right? But, but a man after God's heart, you got that. So you got, this, you got these, this cold mentality and this hot mentality, but out of Revelation, this lukewarm, do you realize that there's almost no stories in Scripture about lukewarm people? Why? Because they're irrelevant. Revelation is pretty clear. Lukewarm is the most dangerous place to be. Being completely cold, God has changed Pharaoh's heart. He has changed king's heart. He has changed prostitutes' hearts. He's changed a lot of people that were completely cold. Why? Because they know they're cold. And it just takes a revelation of the Holy Spirit and them giving in to that. Then you've got the people in Scripture that are hot or eventually get there, like Gideon, right? He didn't start well, but he got there quickly. He didn't just, no, nah, I think I'll just stay here in the threshing floor and do my own thing. Thanks, God. Because why write about them? They, this is the most dangerous place because lukewarm people think everything's good. They think they're on track. Everything's fine. Them and God are good, but they have no relationship with him. This is the scripture where Jesus says, you can cast out demons in my name. You can heal the sick, you know, but I didn't know you. I didn't know you. This is the mentality there. And guys, this is, this is where I think, you judge this statement, but I think this is where the church has got to right now in America. We're all hanging out in the middle in lukewarm land, and we all think we're good. But we won't take a stand on anything. We won't take a stand against sin. We won't take a stand against abortion. The, the whole gay agenda that's being pushed so strongly by Satan and in society, we won't take a stand against it. Churches are starting to embrace this now. Well, maybe it's, this is a direct quote from a church here in town. Well, maybe how do we know they weren't um, born this way? Well, because the Bible tells us. We know they're not born that way. The Bible says that. Go to Romans chapter 1. It explains that down at the bottom it says that, that um, they uh, uh, began to have homosexual relationships. Before that, it's a graduation of worse and worse and worse sin and worse rebellion and worse sin. And then God turns them over to their own sin. And then uh, homosexuality happens. And, and churches are scared to death to say that. You know why I, I talk about this so regularly? Because people need to hear truth because that's how they get saved. That's how they get saved. I'm not, I'm not going to make a major big deal about this, but we've had quite a few transgender and gay people visit the church for the, the whole time I've been here. And I could explain some of the details. I've done that in the past of why and some of that stuff. Many of you don't know this, so I'll just say this. Um, for quite a while, I was invited to come and speak at gay events because of some ministry that we did in the church and the gay community, a couple of key people there, um, invited me to come speak. And, they, and I took some of the people in the church with me to a couple of these. Um, it was difficult. I was never disrespected. I was never attacked. I, I 
I spoke truth. I spoke the gospel. And here's what happened is afterwards, everyone would come up and say, thank you for being honest and truthful. Now, they would tell me, I don't agree with anything you said. But I understand that, right? I preached, I preached to Hindus and Muslims and all kinds, and they'll say, well, I disagree with you. But they're respectful. And, and by the way, so was the gay community. Still, still have been. I've never been um, uh, strongly disrespected by the gay community unless they are reporters. I've never been uh, mistreated. So, so here's the reality of this. Guys, what are we doing with this? What are we doing with this? Okay? What did he think, think Jesus' invitation was when he said, come and follow me? What do you think that meant? Right? Ephesians chapter 10, verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed. By his grace. That's so important. You, you can't save yourself. You can't do enough good things. You can't work your way into eternal life. You can't. There's nothing you can do, but human nature so desperately wants this. There's, there's, we, we want to earn this. Because then it feels justified, right? Well, I worked really hard and God rewarded me, so I'm a good person. That's why God rewarded me. No. He rewarded you because he's a good person. He loves you completely. That's why there is salvation. He died on the cross because he's amazing, not because you are. Now, he can make you amazing through his blood, but it's because he's amazing. That's, that's the cool thing about this. He says, and you can't take credit for this. This is grace. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you've done. You aren't rewarded something. You didn't try real hard, and so you, they, you know, Jesus said, well, you know what? You finally got to the point. You've earned enough points. Now you can be a Christian. It's the other way around. He takes you from the very base of horribleness and sin. He takes you from the complete brokenness and corruption and says, you know what? I can change that. I can cover you with my blood, set you free, make you right with God, forgive you, bless you with my presence. That's what Jesus is doing uh, when he saves us. It's not because we've done something. But it's so easy for us to get caught in that trap. Well, you got to do this. And I grew up in the generation, specifically um, Pentecostal churches down in Texas in the 70s. Um, I grew up in the time frame when, you know, I actually saw this happen one time. A, a guy came in. He was drunk. He had a lot of tattoos and long hair. This was the 70s, okay? You didn't do that stuff, right? And... Um, and he came down to get prayed for, and this guy said to him, I'm seven years old, something like that. And this guy said, one of the leaders in the church said to him, well, when you go cut that hair, come back and we'll talk to you. And as a seven-year-old, I'm going, I don't think that's how that works. I don't know, but I don't think that's right. Right? Jesus, Jesus takes us right where we are. That's never been the issue. Who you are and how bad and corrupt and broken, that's never been the problem. What happens is if you truly surrender yourself to the Lord, what the church has got into nowadays is we don't actually, well, I think actually you got to back up and start a little sooner. I don't think the church actually preaches salvation like it's supposed to nowadays. You're actually getting saved. What they're, what they're preaching is come to our church, join the church, join this movement called Christianity. Have you repented of your sins have you acknowledged that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior? Because that's what it takes to get saved. 
not joining a church, right? Okay, I think, I'm, I think I beat that horse. <laughs> Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so no one can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. P- please let the Holy Spirit put that into your heart and your mind. Put that deep in your spirit. You are God's masterpiece. He did a very good job when he made you. He did a very good job. I, I, I was, I've thought about this a lot. So my grandkids were here for Christmas. And, of course, I, I, I love my grandkids more than most other humans will ever exist in my world. But I, I watch them, and I'm just thinking, God, you did a good job with these two kids. My son's doing okay, but you did a great job. Right? Now, my, my son's a good, good father, and his wife is amazing. But, but I think, God, you did amazing just making little kids. That's why when we have these dedications, God, God made these little kids. They are masterpieces. Yeah, there's going to be some problems and, and broken and, and good times, bad times as they get older and, and a, lot of, a lot of reasons why maybe not to serve God or experiences why God's not supernatural. There's going to be plenty of that, and there's going to be plenty of people telling them all kinds of negative things. Guess what? They are still created in the image of God, and they're his masterpiece. And so are you. So therefore, doesn't that, doesn't that kind of um, foment some kind of direction, shouldn't it? Purpose? Look at what he says next. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. When did he plan it? Before the foundations of the world. That's what Scripture says. Jeremiah says, while you're still in the womb, he sets you apart to be a voice of prophecy to the nations. He's planned stuff for you that you have no idea. But if you struggle and fight with him your whole life to build your life and design your life, you will win that battle. You will. I have found over the years, if you work hard enough, you can, you can drown out the voice of the Lord. You can drown out conviction, and you can do your own thing you're going to miss so much, and you may miss eternity in the process. In fact, I would say you probably are going to. But if you let go and let God be in charge and let him guide your life, it's amazing what he will do. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. That's step one. Step two is take up your cross. Step three is follow me. Now, it's all the same subject. But it's interesting because this is the number one scripture I've seen over the years that people misuse, use improperly, are completely irresponsible for this because they take up that little part in the middle, take up your cross, and they say things. I have sat in counseling sessions with married couples that one of them kind of dismisses the whole thing and says, well, I guess this is the cross that I bear. You should be spanked (laughs) by your spouse. Because you were wrong. I don't know where you guys were going with that, but because you were wrong and you're in trouble. That's where I was going with that. It's like I'm not even a pastor here. So why? Because take up your cross. Guys, take up your cross doesn't mean you deal with difficult things. The cross is what Jesus died on. And when he says you're going to follow him and you're going to take the cross to follow him, he's expecting you to die too, but not physically. He's expecting you to die to self 
And that's what Romans 12 says. Become a living sacrifice. Die to self. Just because you've got difficulties at work, that's not your cross you're bearing. That has nothing to do with that scripture. You're dying to self. He starts off with, give up your own way. That is so difficult for us as humans. Give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. He says, if you want to try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Is anything? But here's the thing, guys. If we're not careful, we, there might be a price out there that we would take for our soul. You've got to be careful with that. I'm saying you need to be intentional now, proactive now, saying, wait, Lord, I, I, I want to belong to you. I don't want anything to entice me like that. I don't want anything to entice me. But isn't that what happens all the time? We constantly let sin mess with us and temptation entice us. Well, that's the price he's talking about. I've seen this so many times with adultery that, 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 that somebody, and, and, and you know, all the people involved, that somebody thinks, wow, this is worth it. I have, I've walked with so many marriages over the years trying to put them back together, help them put it back together, because somebody thought this three or four minutes is worth it. It's worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it to you. It's not worth it to the other person. It's not worth it to your spouse. It's not worth it to your children. I've dealt with children that still are reeling from the fact that 30 years before their, their mom or dad cheated on their spouse. It's not worth it. But it's amazing how something can be so powerfully strong and enticing at the time. Yes, I need that. I need that. I have not felt that way about adultery, but I have felt that way like about a bacon buffet. Is this worth your soul? Maybe. I'm not, I'm not saying no. You know. Guys, there's, there's things out there that will entice you. Is anything worth more than your soul? John 14, 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So I want us to, I want us to pray about some, some of this stuff. In fact, why don't you stand with me? And um, <clears throat> we're going we're to set these altars down so you have the opportunity to, uh, if you desire, we want to, I think sometimes you got to put feet to your, to your faith, take some action steps, and say, I'm going to spend some time praying. So what we're going to do is we're just going to spend some time praying. You can pray at your seat. You can come down front, kneel at the altars. You can kneel at these seats along the front. But to find some specific uh, space, I'm saying time and space, and we're going to talk to the Lord. And basically this is what we're going to do is we're going to have the mentality that I surrender to you, Jesus, completely. I'm all in. I'm not, I'm not assessing whether you're a Christian or not. That is not. You're going to assess that. You have to as assess that in this process or you're not really being honest with yourself. But I'm really saying let's, let's really anticipate that the Holy Spirit's going to speak to us and he's going to pull us in deeper. That's going to include a few things. It's going to include direction. It's going to include conviction. Therefore, it must include repentance. But to say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. 
What does that mean? What does it mean for you to say to the Lord, Lord, I'm all in? What does that mean? Okay, I want to pray for us at the end. We're going we're gonna to sing together to, to end this. But, but I want to pray for you. And even while I'm praying, you can, you can move around. You can do whatever you need to do. But to find you a place, maybe kneel down right at your seat, but to find you a place and, and really talk to the Lord. What about, what about 2024? Are you all in with Jesus? And what does that mean for you and him? Lord, we, 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 we commit this moment, we commit this morning, we commit this to you. That Jesus, you're the king. You're the redeemer. You're the Messiah. You're the everything. You're the all in all. And Jesus, I pray first for me. I pray that I, I want to be, be all in with you. So Jesus, show me. Show me where I'm weak there. Show me where I'm not consistent. Show me where I'm, I'm a lazy or selfish. Lord, I want to be all in with you. I want, to, I want 2024 to be the greatest year I've ever experienced in my relationship with you. Lord, I pray that for every one of us here. Lord, we need you. Lord, we need you. Holy Spirit, this is, this is your moment. You work on our hearts and minds here. You, you address the stuff. You get in our head and in our spirit. You address the stuff, Lord God, and pull us in close. God, bring forgiveness and redemption where it needs to be. Give us motivation where it needs to be. Lord, push us forward. God, show us, show us who we need to minister to and how. But God, I pray. I pray not just for me, but I pray for all of us that we would be a church, a body together that are truly all in with you. All in, 100%. And God, when, we, when, we, when we're not, just show us and we'll, we'll shore that up. God, help us to do that. Lord, I pray, I pray across this city that our churches, that our churches would be doing the same thing, that we, we, we would repent and we would seek after you. God, I believe there's a lot of pastors across Colorado Springs, across the whole state, that wanna that wanna stand up and be who you've told them to be, but they're scared. They're not sure. Holy Spirit, give them the boldness right now. Let them know they are a masterpiece created to do what you've called them and created them to do. God, for every one of us here, that we're a masterpiece. That every person, from the very youngest to the very oldest, you've designed us for purpose. That our life is not just about us, but it's about you. And we've got to got to learn from you not to make it about us. In the name of Jesus. Lord, I surrender to you. I surrender my mind, my heart, my life, my direction, my plans, my will. I surrender it to you. In Jesus' name.
Let's all sing that together. you to think about this. I mentioned this last week at the beginning this morning, but to, to actually maybe make some action items, write some things down, put something on paper, make a list, maybe put some reminders in your phone or something that says, this is how I'm going to draw closer to Jesus. These are the actual steps I'm going to take. These are the ways that I'm going to change my thinking. This is how I'm going to let the Holy Spirit work on me and put some stuff down, write it down, get a plan. And do the best you can to be consistent with that plan, right? Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know that Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Tell somebody about Jesus, and God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Um, hug their neck. Tell them you're glad they're here, and we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your afternoon.